Welcome to Out of the Blank. to another episode of out of the blank podcast mirror david david for everyone out there listening who might not know who you are would you like to introduce yourself thanks robbie uh yeah so i'm david bell i'm a public health and internal physician um grew up in australia uh, qualifications from australia in the uk and i then you know, i've got a master's in tropical health and a phd in population health disease modeling um so most of my Working life has been infectious diseases. I worked in the World Health Organization coordinating the rollout of malaria rapid tests and malaria diagnostics for several years. Um, led the malaria and infectious disease portfolios at FIND, which is a foundation for innovative new diagnostics in Geneva, and was director of global health technologies at Global Good Fund, which is a was a lab development lab within the sort of gate stable of organizations in the Seattle area. What have you learned throughout doing all your work, especially being involved in malaria? Cause like I was telling you off air, I'm, I have no idea what like the side effects of malaria are. I've heard some of the medications can be horrible. Sometimes it can be pretty uh, effective, I guess, in, in killing maybe the disease, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like it's an easy process for a lot of people to go through just the overall disease in general. I mean, what, that's why we name it a disease, I guess. But is it like a common thing that people should be worried about? If you're traveling overseas, I bet, but probably yeah. not in the States. Yeah, so it's, it's a disease of poverty, mainly. So it occurs in poor countries. It doesn't occur in rich countries. So there's reasons for that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an infectious disease. It's caused by a parasite that is you gain from being bitten by a mosquito where the parasite has been developing within. Um, so you, you, know, you can stop that by not being bitten by the mosquito, um, by killing it or having a net or whatever. If, you're, if you get malaria, there are good drugs and the, the drugs aren't that harmful. There, there's drugs that people take sometimes for prophylaxis to stop you getting malaria if you're traveling and they can have side effects, um, including you know, they can cause nightmares, mental changes, et cetera, some of them. But the, the, the main drugs, which are really mostly now artesanate derivatives, um, it's a Chinese plant herb. The, the drugs for acute malaria are very safe. Um, so, it, Wait, yeah, so a it, plant medicine's better than an actual pharmaceutical? Well, it's a pharmaceutical. It's like a lot of pharmaceuticals is originally derived from a plant. So most of our drugs related in some way to natural biology. Um, you know, they come from plants, they're purified, they're either purified from plants or they're synthesized in a lab based on a structure that was noted from a plant. So, um, you know, there's a lot of compounds in nature. Plants um, and animals have developed mechanisms over you know, hundreds of millions of years to defeat pathogens who want to have their life by taking over the host. So it's, you know, the humans have done this as well. So things like sickle cell disease and a few other changes in hemoglobin that seem to be um, harmful to us. Now, um, if you're in an area where there's a lot of malaria, they can be protective against malaria. So humans have developed some mechanisms as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of drugs are derived from plants. It's, um, you know, it, it, the Chinese, I think, originally used it as a herbal tea, but it's, uh, um, you know, cinchona is the other one, quinine, which was the previous basis for malaria medicines. That's also from the bark of a South American tree. Does, um, like, 
for places like China that use like a medicine or some type of plant like the, in their tea, for instance, and it helps protect against malaria. Is that like a lot of countries like that that are already using types of like meth? It's like taking a vitamin in the morning. You're more protected in a sense to whatever you would have if you didn't have a vitamin or if you didn't get your essential vitamins like a B or a D, for instance. Like I always look at like the things that you could do to improve your overall health, especially I think the pandemic kind of really – I'm a fitness person like I was telling you before. I worked at a gym. Um, so I take care of myself pretty well, which is why I beat COVID in like a day. But I, I, for the people that don't really take care of themselves, I mean, I didn't notice the essential parts of vitamin D until I started getting more sun and realizing like my skin's definitely more clear. I have more energy. My mental health has gone up a little bit more also with taking a break from social media as well, too. And it's like you start really trying to improve your health, not only in the gym when it comes to weights, but in food and everything. And I think that's like where you can really take and examine kind of like this pandemic as well too i don't want to switch the topic onto that but i mean it's all linked in with like infectious diseases when you really examine like the overall health there are a lot of people out there that are neglecting their overall health and like i was telling you before about like i'm not anti-vax or anything but with this vaccine my thoughts have changed on it on an aspect of i think people who are vulnerable it might be a good idea because i don't know if your body's going to be prepared enough to handle this type of thing i think people that are healthy people that are like myself for instance that you know do take care of themselves do check their overall well-being there has been a big neglect during this pandemic to just take care of yourself in any way possible and i don't like the answer of take a pill or take a shot. I think this is with everything though, because I don't just stop here. I go to what's going to happen in 10 years. What's going to happen in five years. What's going to happen any day when you really start looking into infectious diseases, much like you've probably done. These are things that a lot of people don't even pay attention to, aren't worried about. They don't even know the things that can hurt them. There's a lot of things out there that can hurt you. Yeah. And as a, you know, malaria is a disease of poverty. The best way to fix it is by improving economies um so yeah as you covid has been a really good example of, of this so you know vitamin d or lack of stress which you know you mentioned getting off social media um being physically fit not being overweight we know and we've always known um and there's good um metabolic bases etc that these improve immune response to a virus um so you know Vitamin D is important and zinc and so on for T cell function, which is the main way that our immune system fights viruses. Yeah. So it's, you know, people died of, you know, lack of vitamins, of, um, you know, low vitamin D, low vitamin C, et cetera, for a reason. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been one of the weird things of this whole pandemic that it was very clear back in February, March 2020 that, it was elderly, but it was also people who were overweight or otherwise <clears throat> chronically sick who were, you know, the, you know 19 out of 20 deaths were, were in people like that. And um, the logical approach then would be, let's get everyone's immune systems as strong as possible so that they can manage respiratory viruses. So. Let's get them fit. Let's not close playgrounds. Let's not um, close gyms. And let's make sure that old people in nursing homes, et cetera, have good levels of vitamin D, zinc, and just these basic things which we're supposed to have in our food. So we didn't do that, and that became really controversial. It wasn't controversial to do things we'd never done before, like cause mass unemployment or... Um, increase wealth shift from low to high income by closing small businesses and letting large corporations do all the supply chain stuff. So that wasn't controversial, even though in public health, we'd always said that that was a bad idea. But it suddenly became controversial to suggest that people should be fit, that they should lose weight fairly quickly, because that was, it's clearly an association with dying from COVID. Um, it's it's going to take away votes. It was going to take away votes. Give people vitamin D supplements. I mean, it shouldn't be. It's just basic healthcare. So yeah, um, and I, I think the underlying reason for that, unfortunately, is that 
Um, you can't really monetize people getting fit in the local gym or not eating too much sugar or, you know, trying to control their diabetes. But that's through diet. That's not a way to make money, but there's a lot of money in pharmaceuticals. So, you know, it's a shift in public health over the last few decades or more towards stuff which you can make money from and therefore someone has a interest in promoting because they'll make a profit out of the money they put into that promotion whereas you don't make that out of just trying to get the population generally fitter so you know the, the us we've seen the we've seen mortality you know, we've seen life expectancy drop over the last five six seven years not just this pandemic but it, it's not a national emergency um, it should be. It, it's clearly due to metabolic disease. And, yeah. Well, I want to ask, I mean, even before the pandemic, it was just a neglect of people not wanting to do something because it can be considered fat shaming. It can be considered this or it wasn't fit in the best possible way. They can just give you a pill to lose weight rather than do the work to lose weight. You know, it's kind of been society for the longest time. Um, I started learning that when you start looking at all like the old studies of medicine and realizing how much there's been like corporate financing when it comes to research studies and you realize they're not going to go against the people that are paying them the money to do to study and it becomes an issue i'm just curious with your thoughts you can relate it to the pandemic if you want things that you notice maybe that were problems besides the vitamin d and everything like that because when you say there's a money chain to it they start thinking like oh that's conspiracy talk i'm like is it though i mean if you're yeah, speaking it's from not a business, a business. Yeah. it's not a con i mean this yeah you know, Winston Churchill was a conspiracy theorist because he, he thought that Hitler wanted to take over Europe. You know, and the, we, we've sort of been programmed to think of these terms in certain ways. Um, uh, conspiracies are a human thing, uh, but, you know, it depends on your definition of conspiracy, but we should put that language aside. I mean, it's we live in a society where businesses run by... You know, large corporations are responsive to their investors and shareholders. It's their responsibility to maximize profit and return to those shareholders. That's what they're supposed to do as corporations. If you're a pharma corporation, that means selling more drugs, selling more vaccines. That's what you have to do. If you're not going to invest huge amounts of money in getting the population generally fitter so that they don't need your products because that would be the opposite of what your shareholders want you to do. So, you know, that's not, um, you know, you could say it's bad in the whole sense, you know, it's societal sense, but from the point of view of a business, we've developed a system where pharma companies need, who've become very rich, need to promote their product and they need people to need, they need people to be taking pharmaceuticals, taking vaccines, taking drugs. And you um, you do that by having, an, an unfortunately, a fairly unhealthy population. So it doesn't mean you make them unhealthy, but you're certainly not going to invest a lot of money in trying to make them healthier in terms of not needing your product. Yeah, you notice that when the Pfizer CEO says you got to get a new shot every six months. But where, where my fear started to leak in was like, are they going to completely destroy the name of science and research? Because how many people were squawking talking points? I don't know how many people I, I even a, a show I did with a vaccine injury lawyer where he's like, you took the malaria, uh, you can take a malaria vaccine or that shot, whatever. And I'm like, this isn't that though. Like, this is something different. I'm not criticizing, you know, science, you're constantly learning, but that term science has been use this science is backing it. And it's like, yeah, but are we going to, there are researchers and plenty of people out there that have questions and want to raise points, but it doesn't fit the main narrative. So they're afraid of losing their jobs. And I'm like, I don't like that about research. I think the best part about it is we can make mistakes, but we learn from that. But if you choose to neglect the fact that there are mistakes, then that's where you go wrong. Yeah. Uh, the whole notion that the science is fixed or the science is decided is, is anti-science. You know, science is a process of inquiry, always testing, etc., and always being open to other um, analyses or conclusions uh, and examining them. The yeah, I mean, 
there's a few things about the vaccine that are very strange. The obvious one is the dismissal of natural immunity. I mean, a vaccine works by... Um, so these are a new the mRNA are a new type of vaccine. You, know, you can call them a vaccine or you can call them a pharmaceutical, but they cause your body to produce a protein, which your body then reacts against. It's a viral protein, spike protein in this case. So normally a vaccine actually puts that protein directly into your body um, as a whole virus or as a, a protein attached to an adjuvant to some other chemical. In this case, your body's producing it. But anyhow, there's some intrinsic concerns in that because your body then attacks the cells that are producing it. But the, that is the way it works. So it stimulates an immune reaction. You produce antibodies. Your T cells are activated against it. That's immunity. That's what immunity is. If it happens to a spike protein or it happens to a whole virus, um, it's still immunity. So to suddenly say out of the blue, you know, like WHO changed herd immunity to say due to a vaccine, it's just a ludicrous statement. It's, it's completely untrue. And everyone in WHO knows it's untrue, yet they said this. So, you know, you're, if you're immune, you're immune. It doesn't mean you can't get infected again, but it means that your body has a memory of that virus or part of that virus, whether it's from a vaccine or whether it's from an infection, and it will react more quickly and usually more effectively if it encounters that virus again. So if you have the vaccine, whichever type, it will give your body that memory so that next time you're infected, it'll react quickly. If you're infected with the virus and you survive and get over it, which 99.9% .9 of people do with this one, then, or, you know, then you will also react more quickly. In this particular case, you'll react to more than one protein. There's four different proteins in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and you possibly create a better T cell response. You also, if you get the virus through your respiratory system rather than injected, you will have a, another sort of antibody um, immunoglobulin A, which is on the mucosa, on the lining of your respiratory system. So you don't get that with the vaccine. So it just, it's another barrier. Um, well, for example, so, yeah. could I, well, for example, could I say this just to understand it better? It's kind of like cutting your grass. If you cut your grass, you're, you feel more accomplished, right? But then if you pay someone to do it, the yard still gets cut, but it doesn't feel as well. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the shot. I beat it naturally. I got COVID from someone who was double vaxxed and boosted. I got it and I beat it without any of those. And then I, I, I rarely get sick though. I don't even take Tylenol. I like my body to beat stuff, but it's, that's kind of the same thing with the mowing the lawn. You still get the lawn mowed, but someone else does it for you. This vaccine, it might assist in helping you from dying or something like that. But if you beat it naturally, you're going to have stronger immunity, which is now what they're starting to talk about, even though before they said there was no such thing. Yeah. But to push an analogy too far, if your lawn's a really bad one that's full of sticks and stones and so on, you want to do that yourself because someone else is going to do it and smash all your windows. So, so if you're el you know, elderly, you're diabetic, you've got renal failure, or whatever, then you don't, you, you may not want to go through having the SARS-CoV-2 virus infection because you're in a category where you may have say an eight nine percent chance of dying if you're you know, eighty five years old and sick maybe a bit higher than that. So you may prefer the vaccine and the vaccine is a way of getting some immunity without going through some of the risks of the virus. So if, but yeah, if you're young and fit and your chance of um, dying or being severely ill from the virus is something like one and a half a million, one a million, it's pretty reasonable to say, well, I'll go with the virus because I don't know long-term effects no one does with the vaccine um that's a reasonable choice and that's what we normally do with um flu shots or whatever it's it's the way that we normally manage medicines we look at an individual level at the person we look at their risk from the disease their risk from the pharmaceutical what we know and what we don't know about it and we make a decision on that basis so it's completely novel to say everyone should be in, in 
injected with a vaccine population wide like this. Um, and it's, it's novel to do it with a whole new pharmaceutical class where we don't have long-term data. And we don't, it doesn't mean it's safe, it doesn't mean it's unsafe, we just don't know. Um, and we've been surprised before with a lot of pharmaceuticals. So normally you, you follow this risk principle where you say, if someone is at very high risk of the disease, we're willing to take that risk with a pharmaceutical. If someone's at very low risk of disease, then we won't. And if they're already immune, which most people are, the CDC just put out a paper showing that 75% of kids in the US have evidence of antibody um, to SARS-CoV-2, which means more than 75% have been infected and have immunity. Um, it makes no sense. And the CDC has shown that it, it makes no discernible difference to vaccinate on top of natural immunity. Yeah, but they're so, passing vaccinations you know, for five to 11 year olds. And then I know plenty of people that are like, my two year old just became vaccinated. And we, you know, that, I mean, without the long term studies about what this is going to do to you, and then someone who's growing and developing, like I get if you have a issue, like you were saying, a yard with stones and it, yeah, it's probably best you do it yourself. So if you're older and you might have some comorbidities, then it's probably best to get a shot. But with the data that we don't have and the kids that are now being like they're pushing that, I'm natural immunity and I'm getting advice from a doctor saying I should be vaccinated, I should get vaccinated. I'm like, but why they like to protect other people i'm like but i don't think that works because you can still spread it like i got it from and it just seems like there's a lot of like just talking points without really any evidence behind it like i've heard people bring up the term religious exemptions from getting the shot and i'm like does corona care if you have uh if you believe in jesus or god like what yeah i think yeah um you know you, you you need to look at each person on their risk benefit. Um, there may be kids that benefit from the vaccine. Um, kids have, you know, there's some kids have comorbidities that may put them at high risk. Uh, overall, mortality in children is very low. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult with um, mortality from reported from coronavirus because we, we, we've assessed it differently. We, assess it on the basis widely of having a positive test, which suggests an infection within a certain time period. Well, we don't normally do that for other diseases. You have to actually be shown to have been sick with that disease at the time of death. So, you know, it's hard to know what the mortality is, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the issue is not, you know, the, it's not that the vaccine is, good or bad, it is that we seem to have abandoned the basic principles that we normally work on in deciding who would benefit and who would not. And, uh, you know, that's concerning. And I, I think it probably has a lot to do, as we are saying, with um, flows of money and what people can make a good business out of. Do you think that maybe a better talk of instead of asking if someone's vaccinated or unvaccinated, we should be talking about more individualized time and care with patients? Now, I get it because the doctor workload, there's a lot there's a there's not really a lot of doctors compared to their patient workload, but there's not a lot of individualized medicine um, besides people who might be owning their own institutions that try and do it as much as they can with their clients. And I feel like that's a big talking point now. I think instead of saying, get vaccinated like commercials are saying they should say ask your doctor and i think your doctor should know you as being your doctor and hopefully they can make a decision basis i didn't get my shot because my doctor had hesitated on wanting to give it to me because i do have a digestive issue um but she was like i'm not you know i'm you're you're healthy around the board but i just don't feel comfortable we don't have a lot of the information yet this was in the beginning of the pandemic but now there's like Johnson and Johnson's now talking about blood clots again and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I can accept mistakes, but what I can't accept is when you force someone into a position that they don't feel comfortable in and you neglect the basic principles all under the idea that it's medicine or science, because what you have now done to that word is you've made that word numb. 
you've made that word not sound the same to a lot of people who hear it. And it sucks because there's people like who actually get PhDs and masters and doctorate degrees who are like, what the hell? Like I'm a scientist. They're like, yeah, I've ran into like 20 of you on Twitter. They're like, no, those are not real. I'm a real one. I can show you my degrees. And then they feel like their voice doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a strange two years. It's like we've undone the Renaissance almost and, you know, gone back to a medieval period. Chopped the leg where, off. You know, yeah, I mean, the Grand Inquisition. Uh, you know, if you don't, there's a dogma and, you know, science has become dogma a lot in, maybe not in cosmology or something, but in public health, science has become dogma. And you know, doctors can get deregistered for disagreeing with the dogma, even though they are saying stuff which would be routine, orthodox public health four years ago. So it's a strange period. Um, yeah, and the personalized medicine bit is interesting. So you know, in cancer, we're going that way. We personalizing therapy rather than just giving, you know, standard chemotherapy for you know, breast cancer or colonic cancer or something. We, we look, we're recognizing that there are a lot of individual characteristics where digging into the particular genetic changes and so on within that person. And we're designing therapies for that person based on that. So we're recognizing that we need different therapies for different people, that different people have different risks, et cetera. Um, but yeah, while we're doing that in some areas of medicine, we've just done away with it almost in respiratory viruses. And we, we just, this one size fits all. Um, the, the other thing that, is important we've completely lost the idea which is the basis of public health of looking at risks and benefits costs and benefits not in the vaccine but just generally so you know if you put make people unemployed we know you know yeah what we were just saying they you make them less fit you increase their stress um you make them generally poorer they have less control over their destiny we know that that reduces life expectancy i mean this is orthodox public health we, we there's plenty of studies showing this yet we instituted all these you know, new sort of lockdowns etc border closures stopping people seeing family letting people die alone etc which would do all the cause all these problems and we did that without ever in two years sitting down saying so these are the deaths from COVID-19, and this is the age groups that they're happening and the life years lost. This is the cost of the deaths and the ages that people would die from the lockdowns, you know, now and over the next 10 years, 20 years, with increasing poverty, et cetera, even loss of education of children will reduce their life expectancy overall. So we know, we know this, but we, we don't do those calculations anymore. Which, which, you know, it's hard to fathom. And that, that is what science is. It's looking at all these costs and benefits and trying to figure out what's going on. Just saying we're going to treat a virus, we're going to report number of deaths in no context, et cetera. Uh, and that's the only focus for a health system is not public health science. It's quite the opposite. So... Yeah, that's where we are. Which do you look at more, I guess, in a worse scenario, the economical disaster, or do you look at more like the psychological disaster? Because I'm very concerned about the psychological stuff, um, mostly because like, if I see my nephew, who is only like four, he's only known mass for the past three years. So when he sees me without one on, there's like a, a shock, a visible shock of like, holy crap, that's your face. Why aren't you wearing a mask? And it's kind of like, really kind of scary in a sense because it's like I, is this going to affect you later down the line and i get it if we're learning i've talked to dr carla peters who um talks about how masks are actually bad for you messes up the, your your biome on the inside as well too and you're breathing on breathing in bad i would say and not really infectious diseases but like you're sweating you're consuming all those bad toxins through your mask and nobody even talks about the nanolipoparticles in these masks as well too or um a bunch of other scientific stuff I can't remember right now. But I, I mean, these are all points that I feel like would have been taken into 
kind of thought, but I do give leniency for the amount of scramming for just trying as much as you possibly can to make sure that people were saved from this pandemic. But there was a lot more of like a recourse when it came to the amount of suicides during lockdowns and then them saying, oh, lockdowns are actually bad. Let's not do those. And it's like, yeah, this is stuff that you probably would have taken to account if you had more time. But at the same time, there was a one fit answer for everything, not any other forms of treatment, which I was like, if I'm sick, give me everything. I don't care what it is, you know, make me better if I'm dying on my hospital bed. But there was a whole neglect in that. And there still is. There's still people that talk about and slam different types of forms of medications. And I think this is like how we really lose track. And this is like, there's a, there's a point where you get up to the cliff and you're about to jump off. And I go, once you jump, there's no going back. So you need to make sure you don't lose the complete trust of the public. You need to have faith in medicine. You need to have faith in your doctors. You need to have faith in all this too, but you need to have a connection. So I look at like, what do you think would be, I guess, the most damaging aspects, not maybe economical, but maybe psychological. Yeah, I don't know. And um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, people do feel you, you have to do something. And it, if you're a politician, having lots of people die, even in, you know, in whatever age, when you do, when you say we should continue as normal, you get into trouble. Whereas if you do something, whatever it is, and the same number of people die, people say, well, at least they did something. Gee, it would have been worse if they didn't. So politicians are in that situation as well. So it's much easier for politicians to do something than nothing. And I think that's part of what happened. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, with masks, you know, we have to remember like surgeons wear masks all day, every day in the operating theater. They don't all die from microplastic poisoning. So there may be issues with masks, but they're not, um, you know, people aren't dropping dead all over the place from wearing masks. But um, there is also plenty of, you know, there are randomized controlled trials, including meta-analysis of these published by CDC. And these are the gold standard for does something work or not, which don't show a significant effect of using masks in the community. And this was clear early 2020, CDC actually just published in, I think, May 2020, their meta-analysis of RCTs for flu virus and community masking showed no significant effect. Um, it's an aerosolized virus, the same pretty much as, um, as SARS-CoV-2. So we don't expect community masking to have an effect based on the randomized controls trials or to have a measurable effect. So yeah, the problem is not wearing, you know, the mask physically, I think that the, the problem is that we have been told to do something for which the evidence says it's pointless. Um, the so yeah, and the, I think the harms for masking potentially, particularly, are in children, and we know, and the AAP uh, American Associated Pediatricians used to have on their website information about how important it is for children to see facial expressions, to see adults smiling, to see them angry, to see them confused, et cetera. And a lot of our communication, especially in early childhood, is around that. And if you cover people's faces, it prevents that. But also in adults, it, it has an effect. You know, there's a history of masking people as a sort of punishment. And that's because it it affects it um, the way that you perceive other people and the way that you communicate with them. You know, the, the, I think there's a psychological reason why we see these pictures of wealthy socialites not wearing masks while the servants and photographers and so on are masked at their feet. And there's, you know, there's a whole history of that. So I think, yeah, there is a psychological aspect. Um, it tends to make people sort of more subservient and less interactive. Um, with children, it appears there does seem to be evidence that it may have helped back development in language development, et cetera. 
and that will have long-term effects for those children. Um, but yeah, the, the, the biggest issue with masks to me is just the debasement of science, the ignoring of what we know is true in term, from randomized controlled trials, et cetera, and pretending that there are huge benefits when there are not. And when you start doing that in public health, as you said, you lose trust from anyone who um, is clear enough in their thinking to sit down and actually look at the evidence themselves. And when they start seeing something like that, where there's a clear ignoring or covering up of evidence, then they start doubting other things. And it's an example with the vaccination program. You don't want people to become anti the idea of vaccines because some vaccines appear to be very beneficial. But once you start losing trust by pushing, you know, crying wolf almost, but pushing a, a vaccine in the wrong way and using coercion, et cetera, then you risk much wider programs. Wait, um, you're telling me you didn't get vaccinated and got your free Shake Shack? That was like a slap in the face to people watching that. I hope people took that as an insult because that was like, get your free, you know, you could be enjoying this. Did you see that of de Blasio eating a Shake Shack burger and saying, if you get your shot, you'll be able to get a burger. I was like, and watching him consume a burger with some fries on live television. Yeah, that was pretty strange, wasn't it? Oh um, my God. Yeah. Like the uh, social identity that's been linked in with masks, it vaccinated. It's how people introduce themselves now. And I go, where else does this stem from? Like, where else can we see a correlation? And it's politics. And my whole main thing here is politics should never be influenced into medicine. Nobody should be influenced into medicine. Researchers, physicians, the best things have always been giant leaps that people thought were crazy researchers should be able to make those opportunities. But what we've done is we've said that those researchers are banned and they've lost their jobs. And if they've spoken out about anything that didn't fit a narrative, and that is going to cause people to be hesitant on saying anything because they're afraid of losing their positions. And I don't think that should happen when it comes to research, when it comes to science, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to any of that, you need people that are thinking in different pathways. And what you've just done is you've now constricted it to one viewpoint. And I think that is something that's very damning and telling for a lot of people out there where, where are we going to go forward? Do you know how many articles I've looked up about COVID-19 and you know how many, when I click author affiliations, they're paid by the institutions that are these giant pharmaceutical companies that should never happen. There should be a separate funding source where these people are able to get the money to fund their studies. They shouldn't have to feel like they're being swayed in a certain direction to not talk trash on their employer or their sponsor. I mean, that's not crazy to say, but people will look at you like you're nuts. And I'm like, what? Because I just want people to say what they found and be honest with the information. That's all I've ever wanted was transparency. Yeah, no, clearly. And Public health is supposed to be about not telling what pe people what to do, but about giving them information so that they can make those decisions. Um, you know, whether you um, take a certain pharmaceutical or not is a decision between you and your doctor, which includes you, not just your doctor. Um, people have different contexts, they have different cultures, different beliefs, different values, they value prolonging life in different ways. They value enjoying their family in different ways. You know, the, the whole idea of um, preventing people from seeing dying family members is, is just staggering to me. You know, who is that protecting? It's not, you're protecting someone so that they can die alone rather than die with the family. So, yeah, you know, we, we just, brought in these draconian public health regulations, and then we kept them there when it was clear that very few people were dying overall from this virus. Um, and that that's not what public health is supposed to be. Public health is supposed to be absent of coercion, absent of force. It's supposed to be the, the role of public health practitioners is to provide information and advice in context and allow the public to um, use that to make good, informed decisions on their own health. Uh, people should have comfortability in the people that are making health decisions. They shouldn't feel like they don't trust them. That's the main thing is like that trust factor is so hard to build back, you know, 
And yeah, and it, it's you have to be transparently telling the truth, um, and not, and you have to be show that you're open to alternative viewpoints. Otherwise, people stop trusting. Do you think that there's like this is just what's going to happen? Like I've heard them talk about mandating flu shots. You know, making sure they do that. I'm like. People never hesitated on getting a flu shot. Now, with all this type of talk of forcing people to get one, they're going to start questioning more. Like, I, I, I bet you if you just would have made this optional and kept it optional, then I probably would have got it. But I just didn't because I have an authority problem and they were trying to force it. But their talking points really didn't make sense. I mean, they were bringing science to the table, saying it's science, but there was no evidence behind it. And they were only like the same things being spoken, like I said, the talking points. But when you look up these studies and people that are they called like conspiracy persons, Peter McCullough is one of them, 667 published medical articles. And then they list them on Wikipedia as an anti-vaxxer spreader of misinformation. I had them on the show to talk about it. Like there's a a lot of researchers that talk about just the whole backside of getting attacked by people they thought were their coworkers, and it's like that shouldn't be like that. Yeah, you know, the, the whole term anti-vaxxer is such a strange term. I I don't know what it means, and I ask people sometimes, and they can't when they use it, they can't describe it. Um, I think Webster's has a definition, but I guess they're reflecting common usage of someone who's against mandates. It's, it's, uh, they're completely different things. So, you know, I've been vaccinated person against more diseases than the vast majority of the population because I've traveled a lot and, you know, you know, rabies and yellow fever and whatever that most people don't have um, vaccines for, not the disease. But, um, you know, so, but I, I've always, taken pharmaceuticals on the basis of does this make sense in my context to take it and so to be labeled anti-vaxxer on the basis of just following risk-benefit analyses is just is weird it's like um, anyone who really is interested in science and public health is an anti-vaxxer almost because they're questioning and they're open to questioning is this the right thing for this person um, anyone who's interested in basic human rights and the idea that people should be able to choose what is done medically with their own body, which is you know topical in the US just now. You know, they're, they're anti-what? They're, they're pro-free choice, pro-bodily autonomy. Um, does that make them an anti-vaxxer? And is, that, is it therefore a bad thing to have those views about your own body or someone else's body, that they should be the primary um, authority on what is done with their body. Because this has been the basis since the Second World War. This is the basis of uh, all the international health conventions and human rights conventions that, you know, although there are exceptions in extremes, the basis is that people are in charge of their own bodies and cannot be forced and should not be coerced into doing things that are not their choice. Um, so, you know, it's a big thing to abandon within two years. Um, but that's what we've done. We've thrown human rights out the window. And you can see the effect of that. Uh, I mean, we, we haven't gone back to malaria, we're on, still on COVID, but they're just going to the lockdowns and this whole human rights thing, you know, it's people, you'll see on Twitter, people use the term freedom to mock people who promote freedom. Now, three years ago, those same people were shouting for human rights. You know, you look at lockdowns in low-income countries are estimated by UNICEF to have, over the next few years, they will cause another 10 million girls to be forced into early marriage because they're kicked out of schools, they can no longer get employment, et cetera, they've lost a job. They'll end up in early marriage, which you know, is arguably child rape um, on a nightly basis. And there are whole organizations like Girls Not Brides, et cetera, that were there against 
this and trying to reduce it with um, very high profile people backing them. Um, you know, the, the trying to reduce authoritarian regimes and increase democracy, et cetera, in countries, same thing. Trying to increase community control of um, health and activities, all this has been undone in two years. And the people who are pro all this now seem to be on the side of um, mandating, forcing people to follow what they are told from a central authority. And there's almost silence on things like the, you know, increasing inequality, you know, closing schools hurts low-income kids way more than high-income kids. If you're a single mother in, you know, Washington, D.C., with four kids and, you know, one bedroom for the kids, one for you, and you're working all day and the school closed, how on earth, you know, the kids haven't got a screen each, they can't do school online. If you're a wealthy mother with um, not single or single, but but with you know a room for each of your kids, they've all got a, t a screen each, a computer each, blah blah. Then they will do much much better. So you will increase in the inequality in kids. In, in low income countries, it's the same. You're, you're kicking all these kids out of school. You're forcing these girls into early marriage. All this disaster for society, and we just had this silence um, from the human rights community, which just staggers me. You mentioned a lot of good points. Um, one, I put up a tweet uh, a little while back talking about um, what I said was people don't know what they want. People criticize the way that we went out of Afghanistan saying we should have never been over there. Then now they're wanting us to go over to Ukraine and do the same exact thing, except help them out or just put troops over there. We need to take five on the bench. Um which is what I put up. Now I got a couple of likes and got a couple of people I knew that were going to comment and say some things about it. Um, but the same people that are forcing right now for you to get your shot and calling you a killer if you don't were the same people that were rejecting it because it was Trump's vaccine. You see how it is where I wish politics really didn't play into this, but it somehow got its thing linked in there which really freaking sucks because i don't care for trump and i don't care for biden at all but people are now identifying you depending on if you're vaccinated you are if you're vaccinated you're a left-wing sheeple and then if you're not vaccinated you're a right-wing conspiracy nut i'm like well hold on a second when can i just make a proper decision without politics being justified into it and that's what really kind of got me during this pandemic was a lot of people that were fighting and breaking off relationships, either from asking questions or trying to like you mentioned something about um, it would have been worse if that was always something to me where I was like, do they have a crystal ball to tell if they were going to be worse? Like, I didn't get that. Like people tell me, well, if you would have got your shot, it you probably wouldn't have had that one bad day. I'm like, as to like what 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 science are we talking about here what science do you have do you have a crystal ball i'd like to see it be able to predict the power ball but there's a lot of people that like like i said the talking points there is it's just so back and forth where people don't know what they're saying when they say it um i'm probably at fault for doing that myself too but there's a lot of people online especially that are more than happy to tweet an article that says anti-vaxxer dies of COVID. Then yeah, I click yeah. into the article and it says two shots. How do you call that anti-vax? But they go, oh no, you, to be vaccinated, they changed it. It's just like with mandates. If you're opposed to mandates or if you're anti-vax, they changed it to where if you just oppose mandates. And also they changed the word vaccines to include this gene therapy with what it is. And I go, if you're not asking questions about why is this all happening like this, then there's something wrong there because this is a little bit weird. And even if you say that, they go, are you a conspiracy theorist? I'm like, it's not a conspiracy. You can't say that because this is just pointing out obvious flaws. And throughout all of human history, have you ever been known for someone to make a mistake 
by, I don't know, doing something they probably shouldn't be doing. That's all of human history. People researching into things without thinking about another person or thinking nobody's out there saying, oh, I want you to get better. Then you would have told me to got to get healthy. You would have told me to lost weight. You would have made vitamin D available for everyone. You would have gave free vitamin D out in the street like a, a Santa Claus at a parade tossing out peanuts. Like you didn't do that. They didn't at all. They never even mentioned it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and the yeah, I mean, the changing the yeah, changing the definition of the vaccine is a good point. The yeah, yes, they did change the definition. It doesn't matter that they changed the definition because science moves on. It's a new class of pharmaceutical. We can call it a gene therapy pharmaceutical, or we can call it you know, or a genetic. You know, it's genetic material. Okay. Um, you can argue whether it's gene therapy or not. It's genetic material. That doesn't intrinsically matter. We can say we can expand the vaccine definition to encompass that. That's fine. We just should be transparent and say this is what we're doing because X. So to pretend we're not doing it is stupid. We are doing it. Um, it doesn't mean it's a good or a bad thing. But you know, we've got to this issue point in politics where we, we deny reality um, for fear of being labeled as you know pro this side or pro that side um i i can't see yeah i don't know i i struggle with the idea of left and right now um you know i as a, a public health physician i i always tended towards was on a sort of i am on i think the left side of politics um i'm think universal health care is a good thing with all its faults that um, you need a social safety net, etc. Um, and you know, fundamentally, in equality of people and equal opportunity. Um, but I, I think, I mean, to, what we're doing now is essentially a lot of what we're doing, or the, the push towards mandated. Um, medical interventions, et cetera, overriding one's ability to control what is done with their body is, is really medical fascism. Um, and so we have these, you know, these terms are not helpful because they're so confused now. It, it comes down to, I think, you know, are we in a society where we think all people are equal and have equal rights and fundamentally have the right to choose what is done with their own body, whether they decide to eat lots of sugar and get fat and die early, or whether they decide they'll work out in the gym every day or whatever. Um, in the end, it's our choice. We need to, you know, the public health should be informing us that this way you might live longer and you might be much happier this way you won't. Um, you know, the, the definition of health from WHO, the World Health Organization, is not getting rid of a virus or not being sick today. It's physical, mental, and social well-being, not just the absence of disease. And that, that's really important. And that is, you know, is fundamental to public health. It means that if you're going to change society to stop one disease, you have to be looking at the mental impact of that, at the social impact of that, and considering them on the same level because you're trying to improve health. So, you know, a lot of old people, I suspect, would have been happier to die uh, maybe a couple of months earlier from COVID, but have their family around them when they died, see their grandchildren for several months before they died and not have their grandchildren masked and confined to home and denied education and denied future employment prospects just so that they could perhaps live a, a few months longer in the nursing home. So this, I mean, that's what health is. It's making those decisions. We've taken that away the people who are making those decisions for us now are by and large living well and they're flying around the world and they're going to their conferences and meetings and they seem to be often 
not wearing masks, even though the people you know, tightening their tuxedos or whatever dresses are wearing masks. Um, so they're doing well and they put masks on when the camera's there, et cetera, and then they take them off when they think the camera's off. But um, so it's not affecting their social mental well-being, but it's clearly affecting the social and mental well-being of a whole mass of other people. If we think all people are equal, then those old people in the nursing home have just as much right to decide whether they wear a mask or not, whether they see family or not, as these people who are making these decisions. I um, think you probably yeah. would have a lot less people being so hostile towards other people and putting them in positions where they feel like maybe crap for the decision they made if they wouldn't have said that those people who were doing those decisions were killing you. That's what they kind of did. They said the unvaccinated was killing you. And I think that's literally what made people just really worry about what other people were doing. Cause none of these people actually care if you live or not, as long as you don't affect their life, they don't care. But they said that thing, which I don't really realize they kind of opened up Pandora's box in a sense. And I want to ask you, do you, with, um, you know, Carrie Mullis is no. he's, he's the guy who rented the PCR test. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's a really good interview about him where he's like in a rainforest cafe T-shirt. He's sitting in his house and it's just him being honest in front of this news reporter for like two hours. I don't, you've seen it? Yes. I can I can send it and I'll link it in the description. It is the most revelating thing of him just speaking out about all the issues with science and politics and all this, how it's all like kind of mixed up and Fauci and all this, whether you like them or not, it's just like, you're listening to this person who's just like, none of these people that call themselves experts are experts. There's a lot of money that's being passed around. He goes, I did all this and I can't be in that room. I just can't even talk about this subject because uh, everything is just so many people shaking hands and doing backdoor deals. And it's just like, you're hearing someone just in his just pajamas, basically just talking into a camera. And he didn't live like super long after, I mean, he died before the pandemic happened, but it was just like, you're hearing this person just really say it straight. Like someone, like when you hear the CIA people talk about their dirty deeds on their deathbed or something like that, that's how he was speaking. And I'm like, I really like that because he wasn't a hundred percent on the future of whatever he was just saying, this is how it is. I'm not going to BS you. And I'm like, that's all I've ever wanted. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this idea of experts and deferring to experts, I mean, we're, we, you know, we're all born with a brain. Um, we're all capable of using it. Um, people have more experience and training in certain fields, and that's important. But in the end, we're all also driven by greed. We're all driven by um, self-preservation. We're driven by fear. Um, and these affect the way that we do our work and the way that we talk to others. So, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, the, 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 the I, yeah, it's just, I think, um, there's this, I don't know, it, it's strange, it gets back to politics, but there's this push now to defer to authority. And, and you see it in the free speech debate as well. The idea that, it is dangerous for people, always other people, to be exposed to certain opinions. Uh, so this denigration of those people in effect that they can't use their brains to figure out what's going on. Um, so yeah, you, you see, and you see that a lot in science and public health. I think that's what Kerry Mullins is going on about a bit. And it's driven by, um, well, it's by a number of things, but one of them is sort of fear and um, it's fear of being on the outside, it's fear of losing your salaries, et cetera. We, there is an increasing concentration of um, funding and control in science, certainly public health science and health science in general. And you know, you, you know that the funding comes from certain areas. So you have to please those funders or you lose your salary um, or you will have to lay off people in your research group. So when we listen to experts, 
we, we have to be really clear that they're not completely dispassionate and not unaffected by all these drives that we're also affected with. So we, we have to take everything they say with a grain of salt and put it in the context of who is paying that person, um, who are they trying to please, where does their next bunch of funding come from, and are they willing to put that at risk? So, and this is what the media used to do. That the, you know, we. I remember when, um, actually, when Donald Trump got elected, I subscribed to the New York Times because I was really concerned about um, threats to media, etc. And I thought, you know, it should support good journalism. Um, I actually gave that up early in 2020 because I couldn't bear to look at a front page every day, which just had a big number of how many people had died, completely divorced of context and all the rest of it. And that was a classic example of, you know, what on earth happened to the media once the media could have been saying, so this is what this person is saying, they're saying this many people died. Here's the context, they're this old, they're in this context, this is how many people die every day anyway, uh, et cetera. Um, and yeah, these hospitals are overburdened, but these weren't. And in 2018, during the flu epidemic, you know, this hospital had tents where they were seeing people, but we, we, didn't, we don't talk about that. So the, the media's just stopped doing their job. They stopped using context, but they also stopped questioning these officials and saying, Okay, so this is what you know the CEO of this pharma company says. But he's the CEO of the pharma company. He's made X billion so far through selling this pharmaceutical. And if we follow his advice, he'll make X billion more. So let's look at an alternative opinion, because maybe what this executive is saying is colored by the fact that if he says this, he'll get a few billion dollars more. Uh, we don't see that anymore. We just hear that executive's opinion as if he's a public health guru. And that's a real change in society. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's allowed what has happened to happen, but it's, you know, you can speculate on why that's happening. I, I think, again, we, we're rambling a bit, but there's a, you know, a lot of these media outlets are in the end controlled by the same or owned by the same investment houses that own the pharmaceutical industry. So you, you can arguably trace this back. You send just a big business deal in the end. Um, it's the, the role of these investment houses to maximize the money that they make. Well, it's just business aspects. I just wish people would stop trying to examine their personal, I guess, perspective and look at it from a business perspective. It's about making profit. And sadly, your your face and your family doesn't get attached to the bucks that get passed through their hands. I mean, it's it's I mean, if I owned a company, I'm not saying I would do it, but Jesus, it's effective. It's I mean, it's 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 pretty clear in the evidence there, but we could sit here and speculate all day about how or poke holes at all day about how the media is messed up and so many more ways than one. My favorite are the videos where they say the COVID deaths and then they show like a bunch of bodies and like those tinfoil blankets or those whatever those uh, silver blankets are. And then one of them smoking a cigarette. Did you see that? There's, there's, you can look it up on Twitter. There's plenty of videos of just a dude smoking a cigarette while they're like talking about like the number of COVID deaths and like behind me is all this. And there's a dude smoking a cigarette, whatever. I just think anything to get a view is how they always do it. And where the real kind of clarity I would say comes from, just like that Carrie Mullis video is people like yourself that have worked in just medical field in general or worked in the field that they do. And they're just giving their honest take. You could have disagreed with me this whole entire podcast, but I still would have respected the conversation because you're being honest. You don't have anything to gain from doing my show. It's not like you're getting a thousand dollars after this. Sorry, it's not happening, but you're just giving me your time. And that's all that really can be done. I've reached out to people in the um, WHO. I've even talked to a couple of people who are in that contagion documentary. And it's always the same talking points. It's like, I, I, I don't, I, I want to get your thoughts. I want to engage in conversation. And that's where you'll truly see it is through something like this. And, you know, 
people come across it, they can kind of start to see like, oh, this person's not trying to gain anything from this. They're just having a conversation. And I think that's what's important. But um, David, where can people find your links, man? Do you have any, any websites or anything? Oh, I, I, um, well, I'm on Twitter, but it's Bell 0 David. Um, yeah, so that's sort of about it. I, I don't have a website or anything. I follow you on Twitter. Um, yeah, I know mean, I'm not a, I, I joined Twitter because I was trying to get information early in the pandemic because, you know, it was clear that we weren't getting it from the, the main media. How fast did you, did you realize your decision was bad? <laughs> uh, it's not bad. Uh, you know, Twitter, yeah, Twitter can be pretty toxic and it's a, it's a platform where people can abuse other people. And that's dangerous. I think I'm glad I'm not a child now having to live through social media. You know, if you're getting picked on, you go home, you're still getting picked on in the, in the past, you didn't. Um, no, it's toxic, but it, it also allows a exchange of ideas. And yeah, a lot of people being canceled on Twitter, um, which is unfortunate, but um, it is still overall a positive. Um, that's why I'm there. It's still, you know, you can still see actual data from hospital websites rather than what is being emphasized by the media. So, you know, COVID is real. That was obvious from the beginning. People die from it. That was obvious from the beginning. Um, what is missing is the context and whether the best way to deal with it. Um, and what, what going forward, the, the important thing is going to be um, do we continue in this mode, which is so destructive to society, or do we go back to the broader definitions of health and look at societal health, not just um, being vaccinated against certain diseases? But um, we'll figure. Yeah, that was a, a we'll long answer to to where can they find stuff from me. But so so I'm I'm also on the um, executive committee of Panda, which is a organisation of several hundred people that is trying to really bring back truth and open discussion to public health and science. Um, so they can find that pandata.org. Um, I'll, I'll link it yeah, on the description. I have various um, articles on that site and on Brownstone as well. I'll link it all in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank.